Good morning, everybody. It's, uh, well, afternoon, I guess now. <laughs> it's George Affleck filling in for Jill Bennett on this Tuesday, and I'll be filling in all week, and I hope you're doing well. We've had a busy morning in the news, and we'll be covering a lot of that this uh, throughout the show regarding the mask mandates uh, and, the vac- uh, and, the, and the COVID vaccine mandates and all that stuff. Uh, later in this hour, we'll also be talking about uh, the federal election. We'll get an update from, uh, from Richard Zussman about that, uh, as well as we'll be talking about this pumpkin spice latte. Do you like pumpkin spice lattes? Ugh. Ugh. Uh, we'll be talking about that. Eric will be by. Eric Chapman will be by with uh, his his take on pumpkin and spice and lattes. In the second hour between uh, two, 1 and 2, we'll be talking about uh, Surrey. Go, th- go deep into Surrey on the whole uh, uh, and get an update on there on the on this mask decision that was made by Dr. Bonnie Henry today, uh, as well as have Dr. Brian Conway in in the second half of the second hour, taking your calls and your questions regarding COVID-19 and regarding masks and all those things. In our third hour, we're going to get a healthcare update from the Canadian Medical Association and their uh, thoughts on what the leaders of the federal political parties need to be thinking about uh, as we head into an election day in September, as well as we're going to get a wildfire update. There's some news that we're going to get. uh, We're waiting to hear what that might be, but there's going to be a big update uh, about the wildfires in BC. As well, in that hour, in the last hour, we're going to have a tribute to the recently deceased uh, Charlie Watts uh, from the Rolling Stones, who we just found out this morning, passed away at the age of 80. And that'll be in our last hour. But first, uh, so this morning, uh, we heard that the uh, there's new mass mandates. And here is Jennifer Whiteside, Education Minister, uh, regarding that. In June, we announced health and safety guidelines for the coming year and that we would be holding off on determining a policy around mask wearing until we saw how the pandemic changed over the summer. Today, we're confirming that students are returning for full-time in-person learning, supported by a requirement for all K-12 staff, as well as students from grades four and up, to wear a mask in indoor spaces. So masks are back. And not only all of us have to wear masks, we, we heard there that masks are back for schools. To get her taken out, we're joined by Ronnie Sangara. She's a Cambridge Elementary School's PAC president. Uh, and as you, as you may recall, Cambridge Elementary was at the center of COVID-19 outbreak in November. Hi, Ronnie. Hi there, George. How are you? Thank Good, you thank- for having me. Oh, thanks for joining us again. Um, so let's get your thoughts on this announcement. Sort of kind of a surprise, but not a surprise. Um, not really a surprise. I think with the Delta variant um, and our numbers being so high, I think most parents are very um, relieved that the mask mandate is back in mm-hmm. schools. And I think that some were even hoping that it would be from K to 12. But um, I think it's it's a great step towards the towards safety in schools. But, you know, as you know, most parents want way more uh, safety protocols in schools, especially in Syria. Um, I also represent the Surrey DPAC, and mm-hmm. I know that we've gotten many emails from parents um, just mm-hmm. regarding communication uh, in the future and that they want the government to be more proactive than reactive uh, when it comes to COVID cases. Uh, before we get into that, so you have, how old are your kids? I have twin boys, they're eight. So, and I've got a 13 year old. I told my son this morning, he's going into high school, and I told him, he's like, ah, oh, come on. And he's not a big, <laughs> he doesn't hate masks, but he was like, really? Uh, how, what about your kids? Surprisingly, my kids, I think, um, are a little bit relieved that they do have to wear masks mm-hmm. because they didn't go to school last year. They stayed home, and it was online learning for them. 
Um, so I think hmm. for them, um, that's a little bit of an extra security that, okay, you know what, everyone will be wearing. I mean, they're going to be in grade three, so not everybody in their right. class will be wearing them, but they will be wearing them. And I think they're very comfortable wearing them. How do you, you mentioned that, that the fact that grade, under grade four don't have to wear them. Um, you know, why is that? Because it's just too challenging to get, keep those masks on. That's the, that's the thought, or is it just no worries about it? I think that's the thought of of the ministry, but I think that most parents can say that their children, doesn't matter if they're in kindergarten or if they're in grade seven, kids are very uh, resilient. They have, mm-hmm. you know, like you tell them to stand in a straight line and every morning, you know, guess what? They're standing in a straight line waiting to go in. So kids can really um, work towards whatever we actually teach them to really do. And I think that if they were to wear a mask indoor. And I think most parents um, that are concerned will have will have their kids be wearing masks, regardless of what age they are or in what what grade they are. You you mentioned uh, some of the challenges and the fact that you want the province to be more reactive and proactive. Um, Cambridge Elementary went through some challenges, and you had. Can you, can you walk us through what happened and how you how things have progressed since last November? Well, I think you know with um, last year the communication wasn't. Um, really the same from all levels. Um, so Fraser Health was saying something else, and then the nurses would be saying something else if he went to go get a COVID test. And, um, you know, and we had a, a widespread of COVID cases, mm-hmm. starting with our music teacher. She got it, and then, you know, she one teacher was teaching, you know, like five, six grades, or actually even more because the whole school only has one music teacher. So they all interacted with her. So the worry was there, and I think with the new variant, um, which spreads a lot easier, they're saying, in mm-hmm. closed spaces. I mean, there's a big concern right now with what's going to happen in schools. And, you know, and I think Fraser House and I think the Surrey School District um, it really needs to be on top of communication because um, that was one of the major things that was lacking was that we weren't getting notices on time and we didn't know which classroom it was. And, and everything was just really up in the air. So we're hoping that, that they've, really worked on that communications in the last few months. And I know that they're saying that the communication part will be coming out. They're discussing how it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we're just hoping that that's all done before school starts. The BC teachers announced that they seem to be more open to not only the mask mandates, but also the vaccination program and supportive of of the, you know, the vaccine card program. Um, is this good news? And, and do you think the vaccine card program should be extended into schools with mandatory vaccinations? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, as, as parents, I think we all do hope that the teachers are vaccinated for our kids' sake. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Everyone has different views on how the vaccination should work. And, and you know what? I mean, it could be medical reasons or others, other reasons for them not to get them. So as parents, I don't think we have the right to be really forcing that upon them. But we do hope that um, the teachers are vaccinated, the ones that can be, and that they are wearing masks and keeping you know, other safety protocols in place at the time. Okay, well, so how do you, what do you think about the next the year ahead? How are you looking at things, um, you know, with these new regulations, but no commitment yet from the province to mandate uh, vaccinations for teachers or parents or students? Uh, how, how do you see the year ahead looking for your kids and all the kids, uh, certainly in the elementary school and any other high schools as well? 
Well, I mean, we are all very anxious. I mean, I know I'm very anxious to send them back um, because they cannot get a vaccination at this time. They're too young. Mm-hmm. And I think we're hearing from a lot of parents that the anxiety is there because there's really no clear-cut message of what's going to be happening if this happens. You know, and I think we were we were hoping for a little bit more clarification of, of things like that and not left to each school mm-hmm. uh, or each district. Um, I think we were hoping that you know, the safety protocols on cleaning was, was still there and, you know, how the cleaning is going to be done. And, you know, we're still hoping for to know, like, you know, what the schools are using for their air filters and how clean the air is, mm-hmm. especially coming into the fall with flu season, you know, and, you know, are they going to be, teachers are going to still be doing the hand washing like they were doing last year, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what, and if there is an outbreak, what happens? Is there going to yeah. be online learning? Is, is are, are the ministry and are the teachers ready to go on online immediately so the kids don't lose any schooling. Um, so all these things really need to be addressed, bef- we're hoping, before the school. And school's only two weeks away. So, <laughs> you know, and the Delta variant we're hearing in the States with kids is, you know, it's it, they're getting it more, um, you know, and, and the children's hospitals in the, in the States are filling up with their beds are filling up. So, I mean, it's, you know, I know that before Dr. Henry was saying that, COVID-19 really doesn't affect kids as much as as older people. But now with the Delta variant, we're not, we're not sure that Mm -hmm. that's the case. You know, kids are getting sick, sick in the States right now. So we know parents are anxious. And I think that um, we just have to take it day by day when school gets back. And because there's no other options of online learning. um, And I think that um, that kind of scares parents. And I think that some parents we're hearing from some parents, that they wish that that option was still available, especially for immune compromised children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, you know, like I said, it, it, yeah, we all understand as parents that school is really important and that's the environment that children need to be in. Mm-hmm. But we also want our kids to be safe and we want our schools to be safe. That's the biggest concern that as a parent we have. Yeah, and, and I have a friend whose grandkid is in Los Angeles and they just texted me the other day saying uh, another kid had, tested positive and so they had to yank their kid their grand, the grandkid was yanked out of school for 10 days and as you noted they don't have a backup system for online they assumed they assumed i think that uh, things were going to get back to normal now and because of the we had the vaccine so all is well and it turns out um, it's sort of like it was it's not. Most, yeah it's not and they and yeah. now have a kid at home for 10 days uh, with no system to to uh, to homeschool them and uh, i think you know as a parent as i know as a parent I'm not a teacher, and I don't want to homeschool my kid. Um, I learned that last year being home all year with them, that I am not a teacher. But, you know what, kids are resilient. But I just hope that if, you know, if a school is closing down for two weeks or if they have to isolate for, that their schoolwork is not affected. Because, you know, it's it's hard for a child to not learn for two weeks and then be expected to get back into it. I mean, they need consistency. They need to have consistent... schoolwork and know where they're at and we don't want kids to be falling behind and there's so much anxiety right now and I Mm -hmm. think that a lot of parents are also hoping that there's counselors in school that are ready to deal with the anxiety or ready to deal with any other concerns that a student has because you know what like I mean my kids have been home all year there's many other kids that were home all year Mm -hmm. and you know going back into a full school year we're just hoping that there are counselors available at each school that will be able to help these children. Mm That's stressful times. Well, I appreciate you uh, joining me, Ronnie. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Welcome back. George Affleck in for Jill Bennett today and all week. And I hope you're enjoying your day. And we've got a busy day, of course, with so much going on related to 
COVID and vaccinations and masks and all these different things. And this hour and after the news at uh, 1.30, we'll be having uh, Dr. Brian Conway will be our guest and we'll be taking your calls. So stay tuned for that in the uh, second half of this hour. In the uh, third hour, between 2 and 3, we'll have Adrian Dix, our Minister of Health, will be joining us uh, at around 2.35 uh, to talk about uh, some of the decisions that were made today. So join us for that. We'll also be talking about healthcare in uh, in general across Canada uh, and how the Canadian Health um, uh, Medical Association is asking for the federal government uh, candidates or federal candidates to really step up and and address some issues that they're focused on. We'll also have a wildfire update uh, as amongst other things. But first, uh, I want to talk a bit about... um, mandatory mass for everyone that starts tomorrow, we heard. And uh, this may be the, for the short term. We don't know. It's, it could just be that we have to wear these inside for another couple of weeks or a couple of months. We don't know. Uh, but for kids at school, it seems masks might be a way of life for probably quite some time, I think. To talk about masks in school and, you know, school in general, perhaps, is Matt Westfall. He's a president of the Surrey Teachers Association. Hey, Matt. Hello, George. So let's get your thoughts on this uh, decision uh, today on, on the masks in schools and mandatory. Well, we, we were happy that masks are going to be required for adults indoors and also for students who are eight, grade four and up. Mm-hmm. But we were definitely disappointed that they're not required for students who are in kindergarten to grade three because we think those students are able to wear masks. And they really need the protection because they cannot be vaccinated. What are you being told that? I mean, we have the minister on later in the show, and I would like to ask him that. Why not? Why, why can't we get these masks on kids under, under grade four? Uh, I mean, the minister will be able to speak to that. It seems to be a concern that younger students struggle with wearing a mask for extended periods. And frankly, that's simply not been the experience of teachers who are mm-hmm. professionals who work with kids that age every day. They find that even students as young as kindergarten are able to wear masks in, during a school day. So I think we're selling them a bit short by mm-hmm. not requiring it. Because the difference with making it a requirement is if you have some people saying, well, look, actually, you don't need to, I, we don't have to because it's not a rule. Well, then there's not much we can do. So that's why it's important to require them and not simply encourage. And even if they're wearing them kind of half wearing them, if they, if they can't keep them on all the time, that's better than zero. Yes. Absolutely. The, the BCTF, the Federation, the Teachers Federation, came out somewhat in support of the, the vaccine card and masks. They seem to be pivoting a little bit here. Uh, what are your thoughts on them? Uh, is it because of the support, uh, the public support, and maybe the teachers are pushing them harder on this? What, what, why did they come out uh, in support of both of these fairly clearly? Uh, well, in terms of the vaccine card, we think that's, that's an important measure to encourage people to get, get vaccinated mm-hmm. if they haven't done so. Uh, when it comes to schools, we've never been in, we've never opposed having a vaccine mandate for staff or students. Mm-hmm. We do have concerns that it would have to be transparent. You'd have to deal with situations with people who, for medical reasons, can't do it. What will happen in those cases? And I guess the other thing is we, we know that w- even if you're double vaccinated, you can still pass on the virus. Mm-hmm. And that's why we circle back to we still need masks for everyone. We still need better ventilation. Getting vaccination, the vaccine, BC vaccine card is mandated for, uh, you know, events and things like that. Why not make it mandatory for, for schools and teachers, for parents and teachers and, and, and kids over 12? Uh, I, I can't speak to that. I mean, I, I'm, it, that'll be a decision the ministry will have to make. We're saying we're, we're not opposed to that. Okay. But we, but we would have more questions about what it would look like in terms of what kind of exceptions are there? What's the process? How do you protect privacy and issues like that? Right. 
Obviously, the decision today helps you plan for the year ahead. What are teachers, you know, what's, it, what's, what's happening in Surrey? What's happening out there as far as planning for the year? Because obviously last year was a bit, <laughs> a bit crazy uh, across the province, but certainly Surrey had its share of, of uh, challenges. It, it certainly did. And it, uh, it's unfortunate this announcement is only coming two weeks before the mm-hmm. start of class. That doesn't leave a whole lot of time for planning. And the uncertainty about what it was going to be has been hard on people. I think people, I'm certainly glad that at least we're starting the year with some rules on masks, even if it's not everything we wanted. Because compared to last year, it was a long, long fight just to get any traction on having masks in schools. So I'm glad there's been a recognition that they really have an important place there. What's it been like for you? And you're, you know, you're a, a recovering lawyer. I think it says on your Twitter profile, you're a <laughs> teacher, an activist. I mean, the last year, what's it been like? It's been extremely difficult. I'm not in the classroom right now. I'm the president of the local union. Mm -hmm. I certainly hear from members all the time Mm -hmm. in terms of the concerns they have, the anger, uh, feeling that their their viewpoints and experiences have not been respected always by the public health authorities. And just that lack, it feels like a constantly moving target. That's been difficult for people and has made the experience of teaching under COVID harder than it really needed to be, uh, given that it always felt like a fight to get the proper safety measures in. It's going to be an interesting year. And, and I, one of the things that I, I – we spoke earlier um, with somebody also from Surrey. But the one of the challenges – and this happened to friends of mine in, uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, their kid uh, went back to school and then somebody got – one of the kids got COVID. The kids pulled out of, out of school for 10 days. But they don't have a backup plan. There's no um, online learning set up because they assumed, I think, the school board's there, that things were going to be back to normal as much as they could be. Is that the feeling here in BC? Is that the basic concern that, that, that maybe we should be – having a backup plan? That, that, that is a concern with the decision that was made in June mm-hmm. uh, about that we were not going to have hybrid learning going mm-hmm. into this year. And even though that was tough for students and teachers too, frankly, uh, I, I think a lot of parents do have questions about why there, that isn't an option now. Because as you say, students can get sick and then that's a big interruption there. They're away. How do we catch them up? How do we make sure that they can still participate if they're well enough to do it? Do you sense that this whole the whole COVID exhaustion, the mass exhaustion, we certainly get calls with people who are frustrated and angry that with schools and students, especially potentially high school students, are going to be less and less willing to, you know, they're, oh, do we have to wear these masks? You know, you certainly see different viewpoints in, say, Alberta or Nova Scotia where they're kind of like, you know, do whatever you want. Um, yet here we, came, we seem to be getting more strict again. Do, do you see potential exhaustion by the students and, and pushing back on this? I think that could happen, and that's why it's important that it is a rule, that it's not an option. It has to be done indoors. Uh, quite, quite often, a lot of people say that you know, teens are actually quite active about masks, and they want to wear them because a lot of them say they may have older relatives at home. Right. They want them to stay safe. So they, the last thing they want is to bring something home that's going to get someone sick who might be vulnerable. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, Matt, I appreciate you joining me and uh, maybe tune in to my interview with uh, Adrian Dix and I'll address some of the questions that you raise and see what he says. Okay, well, thank you very much. Welcome back. George Affleck in for Jill Bennett. Hope you're having a great day. So, uh, you know, drummer Charlie Watts, whose powerful uh, drumming propelled the Rolling Stones to almost more than a half a century of, uh, of rock and roll, died in London today. No cause of death was cited, but, uh, you know, he was 80. So here's something that uh, Tim's put together for us. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen.
to technical producer Tim French for putting that little mashup of some of the Stones' big hits, uh, so many songs, so much music, and, you know, the drumming, you know, goes right through that as something that's always been unique about uh, the Stones, the Rolling Stones. Uh, joining me now to talk about the life and music uh, of the drummer, um, Charlie Watts, who passed away today at 80, is Eric Alper. Hey, Eric's a music publicist and commentator. Hey, Eric. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So, you know, did this... There was rumors, but did this surprise you that this uh, that he died today? Oh yeah, uh, uh, you don't think anybody in the Rolling Stones will ever die. <laughs> I mean, you know, as bizarre as that sounds, you think that this band could be around forever? Um, yeah, I mean, Keith uh, Richards, we always he, thought would be long gone, but he's yeah, still there. Yeah, you know, can... Keith Richards is going to be around with cockroaches uh, long <laughs> after a nuclear war. You know, but you 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 realize that. You know, Charlie Watts was the one out of all of them who never led that rock and roll lifestyle. He never Hmm. developed a taste for groupies. He's had the same woman that he's been loyal to um, since 1964. Wow. You know, never you know, never developed a drug habit until like the late 70s. And he said out of sheer boredom and a midlife crisis. So (laughs) he he kind of shunned that rock and roll lifestyle because through and through, he was kind of more of a jazz drummer and lived that kind of a lifestyle um, more than, you know, living the life of like a Keith Moon or John Bonham of like the rock and Mm -hmm. roll animal lifestyle that, that drummers kind of sometimes get tagged with. He was an artist too, and and that's kind of how he got into it. So he didn't he suddenly fell into being a rock musician in a way. Yeah, you, you know, when he was a a kid and he got his first drum kit at fourteen, his heroes weren't, um, you know, the artists of the fifties like Elvis or Buddy mm-hmm. Holly. He, he loved Charlie Parker. He wanted to play jazz. Um, Jelly Roll Morton. He loved you know Monk, and and he started. Um, in that kind of a way, he didn't think that rock and roll was going to last. In fact, <laughs> nobody did. Nice. Um, and then the very fact that he got to, you know, do his drawings and his doodles on various album covers mm-hmm. with the Rolling Stones, he, he was a pretty big part of the of the group. It's interesting um, because you, this just that mashup that Tim put together, you hear the, the, the difference of, say, the stuff he did in the 60s to the kind of disco in the 70s and early 80s and then back to rock and roll. He's kind of found a way to find a rhythm, literally, uh, no matter what the, the decade and the, and the style of music of the day that's popular. Yeah, he was definitely playing around with the beat of the song. And, you know, when you listen to the Rolling Stones, they're, they're kind of spacious, you know, for a band that... Um, that many people sometimes don't realize how much space are between the notes and how much breathing room um, is allowed in their songs. Hmm. You know, it's it's pretty it's pretty heavy duty rhythms. You know, and Ringo Starr gets the same knock sometimes. It's like Charlie Watts and Ringo Starr would be. It's too simple to play, but it's like no, nah, <laughs> it's it's not what they played. It's what really they don't play. And Charlie Watts seems to have this little hiccup sometimes on his drums that that allows that solid foundation to move forward 
with Keith Richards and Mick Jagger and Bill Wyman and, and, and Ron Wood throughout the years. It was, it, it was his drumming that just allowed the other people to shine. But, you know, make no mistake, Charlie Watts, you know, was and is and forever will be, you know, that heart and soul of the band. Yeah, then that's his legacy. And, but you see some of the, the, like I saw Paul McCartney, all these people posting, everybody seemed to love this guy. Yeah, you know, I mean, by all accounts, he seemed to be, you know, the nicest, sweetest guy in the world. Um, you know, he had a, a, that British sense of style. Um, he was voted into the, the Vanity Fair, um, you know, Hall of Fame when it comes to fashion and looks. Um, he always seemed to treat the rock and roll world um, as not a joke, but not something to take so seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's it's that attitude that allowed him to not just survive, but thrive throughout, you know, these six decades, um, you know, and still becoming friends with Elton John and members of the Eagles and everybody in Led Zeppelin and, and Paul McCartney. And uh, there doesn't seem to be ever a bad word said about Charlie Watts, and that's mm-hmm. probably for a very good reason. How many times have you seen them live? 36. What? I've actually counted today. <laughs> I, was, I went through like my, my old memory, and it was like big clubs, small clubs, stadiums, um, you know, in front of 450 people, along with 450 other people, and also with 550,000 other people. At how the did you see them in a concert in Toronto? How did you see them in a place with 450 people? What was that? Mm-hmm. You don't. Oh, oh you uh, see them at Downsview Park during the uh, SARS concert oh, okay. when Toronto was, was completely locked into, <laughs> you know, a lot yeah. of troubles with, with SARS and with the economy and the Rolling Stones yeah. graciously volunteered to come in and have a, you know, a concert that is still one of the biggest in the world when it comes to outdoor festivals. Wow. When was, when was the last concert you saw? In the last tour then when they were here? When they were in Seattle? Uh, or? Yeah. Yeah, I saw their their last tour, and they were still great. You know, yeah, I saw still, them. Then I saw them in they're Seattle. Still a great blues band. Yeah, yeah, they're they're still having fun, and mm-hmm. and I think you know, I I I love to know what they're thinking because I have a feeling that Mick and Keith are probably looking into the eyes of one another and saying, "Is this it? Like, mm-hmm. we can go on." Um, for one more tour, maybe as a tribute to Charlie, because mm-hmm. that's already set. But the mm-hmm. Rolling Stones can do anything they want to do. If they want to cancel the tour on the night before, nobody would be disappointed. <laughs> and I think a lot of people would just understand. I mean, they've been retiring for as long as I can remember. This is the 40th anniversary of, uh, <laughs> of Tattoo You, which was released in 81. And I thought they were retiring back then. So Yeah, you know. yeah and that album released exactly 40 years ago today on August the 24th, 1981. What are some of your favorite Stones songs or albums? I know everybody seems to have, you know, one or two. I, you know, Sympathy for the Devil is is amazing, Mm -hmm. but I remember being 11 years old telling all my friends about this brand new band I heard called the Rolling Stones would start me up with be playing on the radio. And I had no idea about them. It was just like, who are these guys that are prancing and dancing around like, like, you know, like maniacs, but in a great sort of way. And that was the first song that, that kind of led me to the band. And afterwards, wow. it's just been a, like everybody else, it seemed just a lifelong love affair with them. It's funny because for me, I mean, I was, I saw them only the first time ever was at their, their last tour in Seattle. But I, I was introduced to them as a 10 year old to like emotional rescue, which is kind of their disco face. Right. And, and so, so my experience so they was were complete, disco. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's how I first heard them. And, and then, of course, you learned about this band that you're 10 years old. Like, oh, this band's been around for a while. All right. Yeah, exactly. And, and imagine that, right? In 1978, there's like, yeah, this band's been around for a while. They were only around for 15 yeah. years, not for 65 <laughs> that they're doing right now. It's true. Yeah, that's right. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, so you're saying what happens next is they're probably going to tour this tour that's announced. They already announced that he probably wouldn't start with them, but clearly he's not. And they've got a drum. They, when I saw them, they had two drummers anyways. They had a kind of a backup drummer, I guess. That plays with him. Yeah, they've got they've got a full on band with various backup singers and backup guitarists and keyboards as well. And um, Steve Jordan, who has played on their Dirty Work album um, from the early '90s, and also on all three Keith Richards solo albums, he's playing with them um, okay. for this upcoming tour. So he knows the music really, really well. Right. I think it just all depends on how much they still want to do this. And, you know, yeah. those dates are coming up pretty fast. So, right. um, you know, my guess is they're probably going to go ahead with it, but maybe you might see a couple of cancellations here and there. George Affleck in for Jill Bennett today. Hope you're having a great day. And, you know, so it's a bit like Back to the Future. We're, we're, we're wearing masks indoors again starting tomorrow. And back in schools, they got to wear a mask. Here's Dr. Bonner Henry on that. So today I'm announcing we are reintroducing a mass requirement across British Columbia for all indoor public spaces. This measure is needed to ensure that these indoor settings are as safe as they can be for all of us as we head into the fall and we spend more time in activities, whether it's school or other activities indoors. So a provincial health officer order will require masks to be worn by all British Columbians 12 years of age and older in many indoor public settings starting tomorrow. So back to masks. To get us up to date on all this and where we are and where we're going and when it comes to vaccines and the virus, I'm joined by Dr. Brian Conway. We're going to be taking your calls in a few minutes, by the way. Dr. Brian Conway is the medical director and infectious diseases specialist at the Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre. Hello, Dr. Conway. Nice to talk to you again. Nice to talk to you again, George. Hopefully we won't lose you halfway through the interview like we did yeah, last time. <laughs> yeah, cross my fingers. I know, right? So uh, I handled the calls for you, though. I, t- I, I, I played Dr. George for a few minutes. and uh, it was Excellent. A, <laughs> I don't know about that. So your thoughts on today's announcement. I think some of it was not surprising and other parts of it were surprising to a lot of us. Well, we think we need to get used to living in a world of, of COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's going to characterize our existence for the coming year, probably longer. So we are going to have difference, uh, difference changes in the rules uh, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis in response to the number of cases. We'll be going back and forth. But that really is the, the reality of COVID. It's still a little bit confusing to me having listened to everything that was mm-hmm. said. But the common thread is it's a world of COVID. Let's get used to it and let's make the best of it. Yeah, I, I, we've heard that from a few teachers, people, you know, representatives from the teachers. They feel a bit confused and they're asking for more strict rules in the schools. They're saying, why not just masks for everybody? Why, why, this, why not under grade four? Why? why? <laughs> and can you tell us why? Because I don't understand it. You know, I think kids well, the world are... Is different. Yeah. yeah, you know, we, this is really a temporary thing. It's going to, you know, last for as long as we have this uh, current outbreak of cases. We're going to get through it by increasing mm-hmm. the rate of vaccination, doing more sort of diagnostic testing, identifying interrupting transmission networks, and seeing where transmission is occurring, being a little bit more directive in where we apply the rules, and then trying to, to remove mask mandates as soon as we can. They are a temporary measure meant to address a temporary situation, the current outbreak, and to my mind, won't last for terribly long. 
The vaccine card uh, also announced yesterday where, uh, you know, on September 7th, we're going to have to start showing that we've proven one vaccination. And by 24th of October, you got to prove that you've had two vaccinations. Uh, is this going to deal with that, you know, 15 to 20 percent of the people that still aren't vaccinated in B.C.? Well, I think it's going to encourage people to realize that being vaccinated carries privileges. And that's, again, another reality Mm -hmm. of the world of COVID. We're not talking about essential activities. We're only talking about non-essential discretionary activities. When they announced in France that you couldn't go into bars and Mm -hmm. pubs without being vaccinated, the rate of vaccination increased a very significant Mm -hmm. uh, proportion. So I think we, as people come to understand the importance of being vaccinated, vaccinated in terms of getting back towards the near nor the new normal, probably they're going to get some of them at least are going to come forward and get vaccinated. At least that's the hope. Well, we'll see. I mean, there's also this weird inconsistency across Canada and around the world, really. But let's focus on Canada first. We have Alberta next door to us. We have, I think it's Nova Scotia, also similar to Alberta now. Um, then you have Quebec and you have Ontario, more strict. This inconsistency just within our own country, doesn't that create problems for us for getting this dealt with? To some extent, the problem is being created when we mix politics and public health. Mm-hmm. So I think when we really try to think about public health and take the politics out of it, I think we will all end up doing pretty much the same thing. And it will certainly govern interprovincial travel. But I think we're going to get there. And I think we're striking what I think is a very good balance here in British Columbia. How will somebody from Alberta, when they come to BC after October 24th, if they don't have a program, they're not going to be able to eat at restaurants or anything? That's exactly why I think over time, sooner rather than later, we'll wind up with very similar rules across the country that are driven by public health and not so much influenced by political attributions. And it seems like, you know, even unlike, say, other places, that support for these programs is quite high, even right across the country. Maybe not as high in Alberta, but still pretty high. Politically, it seems to be a non-starter for the most part to even go there politically. Well, we all want to get back as close to the old normal as we can, as long as we understand that it will be a new normal, not an old normal, and say to ourselves, what do I need to do to get as close to the old normal as I can? Mm -hmm. It goes through being fully vaccinated and congregating, congregating between vaccinated people to understand that vaccinated people hardly ever transmit infections to other vaccinated people unless there are unvaccinated people around. Once we realize that reality, it all becomes clear to me. Looking at the world, in, you know, looking internationally, I find it surprising as well, places like Israel, which was doing great now, and then they kind of, you know, capped out at like 65% double dose. And now they're talking about the third dose. You're going a third dose. You haven't got the second dose done. Uh, then you have places like New Zealand and Australia going back into lockdown. Um, this, this inconsistency around the world, why, you know, is there no communication going on about how, where places is working and places is not working and how you can, when you talk about politics, you talk about process. I mean, where is the dream country right now that you can point to and say, everybody should just do this? Oh, I wish we had such a dream country. But every outbreak that I've seen has really come down to the fact that for a short period of time, people have forgotten that we're still in a world of COVID. They have gone beyond what the rules allowed. And this Mm -hmm. has led to transmission between unvaccinated individuals. And we understand that even in vaccinated individuals, if you have enough disease around enough unvaccinated people, in 20% or so of cases, the vaccine didn't work. 
So the, the transmission is then amplified through vaccinated people from unvaccinated people who have chosen to just not follow the rules. Mm-hmm. So I think the dream country going forward is that that is 90% double vaxxed, where we understand that people who are double vaxxed are, are maybe even triple vaxxed when the, when the booster comes mm-hmm. around, are allowed to do activities between themselves. Others are kept aside from non-essential activities. And we find every case and isolate the transmission networks. That's sort of the new normal, at least for the next year. How confident are you Canada will get there to 90%? I think we need to boost the rate of vaccination. I've seen the number of total vaccines administered per day in Canada drop significantly. And I think it's way too early to get that com- that completed. Mm-hmm. And my main concern is second shots are dropping. I would have thought that people who mm-hmm. went for a first shot would yeah. go for a second shot. And that's dropping off significantly. Weird. We need to reach out to that group, consolidate that 80% double vaccinated, mm-hmm. get to the 90% by just answering questions and making the vaccine more available and build from there. And if we are able to do that, I think we will do well. George Affleck uh, filling in for Jill, Jill Bennett today. Hope you're doing well. And we have Dr. Brian Conway staying with me here to take your calls at 604-280-9898. Your calls about anything related to COVID and the vaccines and the mask mandates and, uh, you know, the cards that we have to carry around and passports, all those things. 604-280-9898. And we have Troy from Abbotsford. Go ahead, Troy. Yes, how are you doing? Good. My question is as to a specific vaccine that I've been researching that might work well with my kidney disease level one. It's called Norvax. I believe it's in third stage trial. I believe the government does have a, um agreement with them. I'd like to know when this vaccine is going to be uh, released and um, how, how long am I going to have to wait for this one that it may fit exactly my condition. I will hang up and listen uh, to your uh, guest response. Thanks, Thanks Thank Troy. You. Thanks, Troy. Thanks for your question, Troy. Go ahead, uh, Dr. Conway. What uh, can you fill us in current, on that? Current vaccines can be administered to individuals that have kidney failure, however advanced it may be. Some of the newer vaccines may be more appropriate. None of them has submitted for regulatory approval as mm. of yet. We'll have a variety of vaccines, I think, available by next year. Okay, and some of them Canadian-made? It would seem so. A couple of them are in phase two and phase three trials. Uh, mixing and matching is probably going to be the way of the future as we mm-hmm. look at booster doses in the years to come, stimulating the immune system in different ways to maximize vaccine response. All right. Uh, we've got Crudy from Vancouver. Go ahead. Your question for Dr. Conway. Hi, Dr. Conway and George. Uh, my comment and feedback is about the community workers coming to the house uh, from various health authorities. They are not required to... A, um, take hmm. vaccine and B, uh, their supervisors, they don't know if the, the, their employer, employees are vaccinated. So clients as well, as well as the managers, managers don't have the knowledge that, um, these people are vaccinated. I'm a caregiver of two very frail elderly parents and I'm exposed. My parents are exposed and everybody else is mm-hmm. exposed by unvaccinated caregivers coming to the house. There needs to be some mandatory good, uh, rules for them it's a good question Kuti, because we have you know doctor we've we've, we've mandated it within the care facilities but not for the care workers who come to homes mm, that's a little bit unclear to me however i would say hmm. that anyone you allow into your own home it would be within your complete purview to request that they be vaccinated and mm-hmm. if they are unvaccinated or refuse to uh, to uh, divulge their status if you request 
someone who is vaccinated in the setting mm-hmm. that you describe. Hopefully that'll be part of the rules going forward if it isn't already. Yeah, but if you're a senior and you're, you know, in a state of frailty, you're frail, uh, having to do that sounds like a lot of, oh. a lot of pressure on them, I'd say. Oh, I totally agree. I'm forcing people to sort of be advocates for themselves in a setting where Mm -hmm. the alternative is that they don't receive the specific care that they really need on that particular day. And that's why I'm hopeful the system will deal with this in a more effective manner than they seem to be doing up until now. All right. uh, Thanks, Crudy, for your question. That's a good one. Colin from North Vancouver. Go ahead. Hi, uh, good afternoon. Number one, I'd like to say that I am pro-mask, double-vaxxed. Mm-hmm. I like Dr. Conway's uh, take on my take of uh, the things. Um, what we have here, I think, is the 21st century of the germ-man war, and the germs are winning at this point. Uh, they have a uh, smorgasbord, uh, we humans being on the table, and an unlimited repast if we don't uh, comply with masks and vaccines. And until we take that table away, uh, this wee beastie is, is going to stay. All so right. I'll hang up and see what uh, the doctor Thanks. has to say about that. Thanks, Colin. Uh, Dr. Conway? I love that germ <laughs> man and germ woman war. We can never forget that we now live in a world of COVID, and if you choose to take a chance, especially with the Delta variant around, that uh, it may be uh, not worth your while. This comes back to the individual mandate, quite apart from the rules that are in place from all for all of society, mm-hmm. as you take on any activity, especially indoors, it'll be your responsibility to figure out if this is an activity at risk. If so, don't do it or take proper precautions. We're taking your calls with Dr. Conway, uh, 604-280-9898, 604-280-9898. And we have Thomas from Vancouver. Uh, yeah, I've just been listening to your programs all day. I, I uh, kind of turned off a CKNW and I just wanted to tune back in after all these new laws have been implemented, basically. Okay. Welcome back. Yeah, um, I just got to laugh. You know, it's it's something that uh, this is serious business going on these days, and we're laughing about pumpkin spice latte. When has a doctor ever said, get off sugar, exercise, get your vitamins, mm-hmm. lose weight, stop smoking? Why are doctors not telling this to anybody to protect themselves instead of just get this simple shot in your in your arm, do your duty, but don't look after yourself. Look after your bodies, people. This is what it's about. This All right. is what it's about. Thanks, Thomas. Dr. Comey, that's, uh, you know, I hear Bill Maher on Friday nights on his show. He talks a lot about this. He says you know, obesity and the prevalence of the COVID and, and its impact on people who are unhealthy uh, is much worse. Uh, and, and that ignoring that, and, you know, he makes a good point. Ignoring that as an issue is something that governments need to talk about. Well, right now, obviously, most of our attention is being mm-hmm. uh, attracted to uh, to the whole COVID issue. But uh, we uh, we must all be as healthy as we can, especially as none of us are getting any younger. And being healthier and all of the habits that were just described are good examples of healthy behavior will help us not only combat COVID, but be healthier as we evolve through the era of COVID. All right. Uh, DJ from Langley, go ahead. Yeah, I just had some questions for this doctor. Mm-hmm. I'm just quick. trying to wrap my head around this because uh, all this lunacy and craziness that's going on. We've had 1.4 million known cases in Canada of COVID and less than 1,800 people under the age of 65 have died, sadly. So I'm just a little curious where this big pandemic and all these big numbers are coming from because the Delta variant isn't even more deadly. They've even said that there's no 
data that shows it's more deadly. It's just more right. contagious. Thanks, DJ. You know, I mean, the skepticism and, and this that, that attitude is growing for sure. And uh, Dr. Conway, I mean, how do you address that when you see places like Alberta going, meh, let's just open things up? Yeah, I think people are getting tired. They want to go back to the old normal, and it leads to this kind of thinking. But it is the younger and healthier people that get infected that may not get sick themselves that perpetuate the pandemic and that spread it to people who are more susceptible to the more serious consequences of infection. And this is why it requires an all-of-society response. It requires us all to think of not only ourselves, who may not be necessarily at high risk of getting very sick from it, but of ourselves as vectors to support the pandemic and as vectors to make older people very sick and potentially die. All right. Dr. Conway, thanks very much for joining me today. I appreciate it. I'm glad we were able to finish the segment properly. (laughs)